Hello, folks, and welcome back to the High Performance Human Podcast. I'm your host, Simon Ward, and most weeks I'm joined by guests to share knowledge and wisdom to help you on your journey to living longer, living healthier, and of course, improving your athletic performance. But this week it's different. It's a solo cast, so there is no guest, just me. And instead, I'm going to review some of the key lessons I've learned from the 200 plus podcasts I've done in the last four years. Back in 2017, I had this fanciful idea that I would start my own podcast. I mean, there's around 800,000 of them anyway, so why would one more make any difference? I'm sure, I felt sure at the time that I would have a few listeners. And so I just put it out there. I got in touch with some of my coaching friends and some of my triathlon mates, and I interviewed them, and we started to publish this podcast. And like everything, it started small, but it's grown. We've had almost 400,000 downloads now in those 200 podcasts, and I'm just bowled over by the way it's grown and some of the feedback I get. Barely an event or a race goes by when I don't go along there and meet somebody who says they've listened to the podcast and really enjoy it. So if you're one of those people that's been with me for the last few months of this journey or for the last four years, thank you very much for sticking with it. I'll continue to try my best to get awesome guests and provide awesome information. But since 2017, we've had Olympic gold medalists, world champions, elite coaches, race directors, professors, doctors, and high-performing humans in just about every field you can think of. Triathlon, ultra-running, cardiology, nutrition, medicine, menopause, sleep. In fact, if there's one of those categories that you can think of where we haven't had a guest, please let me know and I'll do my best to find somebody who can come on and talk about that particular subject. But those we have on have had on every single guest on the show has been absolutely top quality and provided us with so many lessons personally i can't think of a better way to accelerate learning than to invite a master of their domain to spend an hour or two sharing their knowledge and wisdom in fact this podcast has become like my own little self-selecting mba i'll give you an example steven seiler he's top of the tree when it comes to physiology And he's well known for the work he's done on polarized training. Now, I first listened to Stephen Seiler about seven or eight years ago um, on some YouTube videos. I've read a lot of his stuff. I've read some of his research papers. And then I saw him at a conference um, that Training Peaks were presenting in, uh, in Manchester. He was a keynote speaker. And so afterwards, I had a question for him and I went and queued up with all the other people. And, you know, I was probably there for 30 minutes while everybody had their little two minute slot of asking him their question and getting their answer and getting a selfie with him. And that was it. Two minutes plus the conference. That's not much really, is it, for an expert like that? I had so much more I wanted to ask him. So I invited him to be on a podcast and he's been one of our uh, most popular podcast guests. I think that his podcast, along with that of Phil Maffetone, has been one of our most popular ever. So that was my selfish little way of finding experts whose brains I wanted to pick and inviting them onto the show to have them to myself and obviously with you listeners for a couple of hours. And when you take in um, 200 episodes, let's say the average is an hour long, that's 200 hours of learning. That's probably about the same amount of time you spend learning for an MBA or degree. So to celebrate the 200th episode, I wanted to look back and review some of the key lessons. And what's interesting is that the same or similar ones kept cropping up again and again. So I've chosen the top, actually the six 
I'm going to close off with an additional one to the, to the blog post I did the other day. And I'm going to look at them in more detail. So I'll, I'll tell you what they are first. The five key lessons are keep it simple. Find what works for you. Focus on the process, not the outcome. Pull the big levers. We are all on a continuum. And finally, consistency is the key to success. So let's dive a bit deeper and start with keeping it simple. So back in 1989, I went on a triathlon training camp. Some of you probably weren't even born then. It's over 30 years ago. And the guy running it was a guy called Bernie Shrewsbury, a special boat service soldier who was on paid leave to represent the military as a professional triathlete. And he was British triathlon champion. So I made lots of notes on this camp. I picked Bernie's brains and I've got to know him a bit more since then. He, he went on to be a fitness consultant. He worked with professional rally drivers, Colin McRae and, and Richard Burns. He then worked for the Benetton Formula One team, keeping the racing driver, Formula One racing drivers fit. I think he's retired from that now, but he still does some consultancy work. So he's a smart man. But Bernie talked about keeping it simple. And his real point in his podcast was that technology does his head in. That doesn't mean he doesn't use it, but he said, everywhere I see people comparing their watts on Strava. I see them worrying about how to get their watch started when they go swimming. Uh, they fuss over the fact that their GPS is recording wrong, and so it gives them inaccurate data when they get back from a bike ride. Now, back when I first started out in triathlon and when Bernie was involved in cross-country skiing and then um, running and then triathlon, there were no gadgets like this, just a stopwatch and what your body was telling you. And Bernie's sort of um, argument was that a lot of people now are losing touch with what their body's telling them because they rely on the gadgets too much and they need to make it simpler and less complicated. Now, this point was also made, raised by Stephen Seiler in one of the podcasts I did with him, where he talked about his hierarchy of training needs. Now, for any of you who've studied psychology, you can look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs and you can see this little pyramid. And it starts with a big base and there are, let's say, half a dozen separate steps to the narrow peak point. And Silas' point here is that the key factors are the foundational actions that are at the bottom of this pyramid, holding all the other ones up. So he has three. He talks about the fact that you just need to get out and train. So frequency and volume are the most important determinants of your fitness. And if you are training as frequently as you can within your lifestyle and just focusing on getting the volume in, then the next step up in that pyramid is to add a little bit of intensity. Maybe go out and sprint up some hills or sprint for signposts or do a bit of fartlek training. Run up some stairs, but whatever you like, just add a bit of intensity because if, if you get lots of volume in and then you add a little bit of intensity each time you do that, it just notches your training and your fitness level up just one small level. And then if you want to go up to the next level, add some high intensity training in. Focus on the 80-20 or 90-10, depending on which, which way you look at it, but the, the key elements of his polarized training. Now, above that, we can look at micro-periodization. We can look at things like pacing. We can look at some of the um, 
more nuanced ways of improving training, like heat training or altitude, microperiodization. Then we can look at tech and kit. And finally, we can look at tapering. But these are really the icing on the cake. And they are like the roof of the house. And none of those would be able to um, stay up there without the support of the big actions at the bottom of that foundation. So in simplest form, Sila's message was focus on getting the frequency and volume in first before you worry about the other stuff. Now, this was something else that Mark Bubbs talked about. And Mark has been on twice in recent months. He is the author of Peak, um, the new science that's revolutionizing the way we train or something like that. And also his new book called Peak 40, which is taking that science and then applying it to the older athletes who are going into their 40s and 50s. But Mark emphasizes time and again that what he sees in professional sport is that the best performers get the basics right. They work on the fundamentals. So let's take American football. Patrick Mahomes uh, was the quarterback for the Kansas City Chiefs. He's the quarterback. He's one of the most highly paid sportsmen in the world. He's not that old. At the same time, we have Tom Brady, who's 42. Now, you might say he is old. He's not old compared to me, but he's getting on a bit for NFL quarterbacks. Patrick Mahomes has this thing called the no-look pass. He looks at one receiver on the right-hand side of the pitch and his arm comes out like a baseball throw and it comes across his body and he throws to another receiver that he's not looking at. Completely flummoxes the defenders. That's brilliant work. It's amazing to watch. If you look at some videos of his no-look pass, you, you, just, you wouldn't be able to tell. You have to watch it two or three times. But it's a fancy move. He also does the basics well. And that's the reason why he is one of the best players in the world. And that's the reason why Tom Brady is still able to do what he does at 42, because he gets the basics right. So this was what Mark Bubbs talked about. Keep it simple. Do the fundamentals right. And I, again, and it's something I'll come back to, is that I think a lot of people worry about some of the um, less beneficial stuff far too often and forget the basics. Now, one example of this is what Shane Benzie, the the author of The Lost Art of Running, talked about when he was on the show. Now, Shane helps people to run better. So you might say he's a running coach, except he says he's not a running coach. He's a movement coach because his belief and philosophy is that in order to run better, you just need to move better. If you look at a lot of people when they're running, they look tight in the hips. They look like they don't land well on their feet. Their ankles look tight. They hold themselves too tense in the shoulders. Their upper back and and torso doesn't rotate well enough. Their shoulders are tight. Most of that is probably limiting their ability to run better. And it's not hours and hours at the track doing intervals that's going to help there. It's getting a bit of mobility in. Okay, Just being more mobile around the key joints. If you remember Sebastian Coe, you'll remember what a beautiful runner he was. Even when he was breaking world records and going faster than he or anybody else had ever run before, he still looked like he was gliding along, moving really well. That's the same for most of the best athletes in any sport. In order to perform better, just move better. Now, let's move away from the body for a moment. Let's talk about nutrition. If you read the Facebook forums... If you go on blog posts, it's almost like a religion, nutrition. 
People who are in the no carb path hate carbs with a passion. They'll fight to the death when you talk about carbohydrates and saying that they're not necessary. Equally, if you are somebody who's on a high carb, high carb diet and you believe it is, then you'll fight to the death against those keto, the keto movement. The paleo warriors, they're out there and they're telling you that uh, you need to eat meat and the vegans are f arguing forcefully that we don't need to eat meat. Adam Fate from Precision Nutrition was on the show and he actually asked the question, are we getting enough basic minerals and vitamins into our body? Maybe we should be thinking about getting the basics right with our nutrition first. Are we eating enough vegetables? Do we get enough diversity within the foods we eat? Okay, how, is, how are we getting our protein? I mean, I understand the principle of moving away from meat eating. Uh, I understand why that there are ethical reasons and that some people might have those ethical reasons. But becoming a vegan to be more healthy and then eating junk vegan food doesn't put you in a better position. It just puts you in a different position. So I think Jack Maitland and Kirsten and Louisa Holmes talked about this when we discussed the vegetarian and vegan eating philosophy was that, that there's still junk vegan food and that many people who decide to give up meat and therefore a valuable source of protein haven't done the research to know what other valuable sources of protein are available outside of eating fish and meat or, or animal foods. So if you're shutting down an opportunity to get one of the most valuable valuable food sources, which is protein, then you're actually not going to be in a better position. So going back to what Adam was talking about, let's when we're talking about nutrition, let's try and do the basics right. Let's just plan our food out and make sure that when we want to eat something, we actually have it in the fridge or in the cupboard. Because if we have rubbish in the fridge or cupboard, and this is what John Berardi, Professor John Berardi, who's the founder of Precision Nutrition, says. If we have rubbish in the cupboard, there's a good chance, in fact, a 100% chance that at some point we will eat the rubbish. All right. Now, going back to physiology and the body, we had Mike, Durant, Mike James on the endurance physio. He's all over social media these days. He does his great little videos. And he made a good point that sexy cells... If you want to get some clickbait, have a photograph of a muscular guy or a really athletic looking female with um, a, a, a crop top on or no T-shirt, just showing a ripped torso and great shapely legs, male or female. All right. That's sexy. I do think coaches sometimes get drawn into this idea of having sexy training sessions. But any elite athlete at the top of the game will tell you that it's not the sexy stuff. It's not the hero workouts. It's not the big sessions that you can put on Strava and get thumbs up from all your friends. No, what works is boring, boring, monotonous, repeated week after week. The little bricks in the wall. All right. If you're building a wall, a builder will tell you all the bricks are the same. You might put one or two fancy bricks in there and they'll be the showpiece. So that's like your hero session. But actually, if you have a, if you have a wall with 500 bricks, 480 of them will be the same. Boring, standard, homogenous bricks. But they do a really good job of making a strong wall, don't they? Well, think about that as your body or your sports performance. What's going to actually do best for you? The sexy stuff or the boring, repeated stuff? And we had Steve Cotter on as well. Now, Steve Cotter is a master kettlebell trainer. I think he runs the International Kettlebell Association. 
Now, Steve talked about kettlebells and strength training and how they were able to not just build strength, but also mobility and stability uh, around the key joints. And when I asked him what sort of exercises we should be doing, he gave me some really basic lifts to do. I think there were five. If you go and listen to the podcast, you can hear Steve talk in depth about that. But he talked about the kettlebell swing. He talked about a goblet squat. He talked about an overhead press. Right, three basic lifts. They don't require a great deal of technical skill. But if all you did was those and maybe some variations of those, you'd build a very robust physique. And finally, we've had Dan Plews on. I think Dan, Dan, Dr. Dan Plews has been our um, most visiting guest. I think he's been on four or five times. And Dan, Dan's a world record holder. He still holds the record for age group athlete in Kona. He went 8.17. Dan's, Dan actually likes to tell you that he's still the fastest Yorkshireman in Kona because Alistair Brownlee, when he debuted in Kona, uh, did about 8.21, 8.22. So um, Dan's still a little faster than Alistair was. Dan was a professional triathlete. Um, he was one of Britain's most talented youths. He then went into the science world, sports science He's a doctor of physiology. He's based in New Zealand. He works with Olympic rowers and Olympic athletes. He coaches some um, high-level Ironman athletes. And Dan is obviously, with the time he's done and the performance he's putting in Kona, a super athlete himself, in, even into his mid-30s. And when we talked to him about that record-breaking performance in Kona, he shared some of his secrets, he called them, um, that age group athletes can share to get better and actually what was really interesting was these secrets were pretty simple i'm not going to give them away now you can go and listen to the podcast but it's interesting when you talk to a top athlete like dan that the things that they do regularly to help get them to these superhuman performances are very simple but as i just mentioned um with what i was saying about mike james is those bricks in the wall just have to be repeated time and again all right, let's move on. Let's move on about finding what works for you. So I hear a lot of people um, when they are thinking of changing, they might change to a certain type of bike in triathlon. They might change to a certain type of running shoe. And we heard a lot about vapor flies last year and how they were leading to record-breaking performances, both at the very highest levels of running, but also for lots of age groups who were getting personal bests. But you know what? The research might say that something works and you could get bogged down by looking at all the research and saying, right, well, the research says that these are the fastest running shoes, so that's what I'm going to wear. But what happens if they give you injuries? Then that's no good, is it? It doesn't matter what the research says if you're injured and you can't train. How about nutrition? What if science says that for most endurance athletes, keto diet doesn't work, but you're the one person who finds that it works for you? Now, one of the best guests we've had on was Dr. Tommy Wood, an Englishman living in America. He actually works in the area of researching traumatic brain injuries for infants, but he's an avid, passionate student of strength training and nutrition. And Tommy has this idea that regardless of whether the research says this does or doesn't work, if it's working for you, why would I want to convince you to change? 
Okay. So if we did some research on low carb, high fat, most people would say that for endurance athletes, that doesn't work. And there's a lot of research that proves that it doesn't work. But there are some athletes, Dan Plew's been one and some of his, um, some of the athletes he coaches. There are some people that say it does work. And that's exactly what Tommy's getting at. Whilst the consensus of research suggests that a particular approach might not work, even within that um, group of candidates who are part of the research, there will be people for whom that approach did work. So there will be people in that study of low carb, high fat for whom low carb absolutely worked. There'll be a middle group of people for where it worked most of the time. And there'll also be from people who, for whom it didn't work at all. But if you find something that's working for you, if you find a, ma- a way of swimming that goes against the grain, but that works for you, like Adam Walker's method of really rolling onto your side, that worked for him because he was having shoulder problems. It maybe also works for him because he's a big guy. He's got a big kick. So you need to also think about that as well. But if you find something that works for you, then by all means, experiment with other things to see if they work better. But please don't let somebody change what you're doing if you're getting on with it. So back to the keto. If you've been following keto for five years and it's sustainable and manageable in your lifestyle, hey, good luck to you. Carry on doing what you're doing. But it may not work for everybody. Now, you've all heard of Mark Allen, right? Six times Ironman champion. He was the absolute master back in the 80s. It took him several goes to beat Dave Scott. One of the things that really helped him was that he got into the spiritual side of training and racing. He made contact with a Huichol Indian shaman called Bransikunda. They spent days out in the wilds just connecting with the earth. Mark was totally different to all of the other triathletes in the 80s and 90s, not just with the um, connection to the spiritual side, but also with his diet. Most triathletes at that time, including Dave Scott and another guest we had on, Brad Cairns, were following this high-carb diet where 70% of what they were eating was pasta or rice or some sort of carbohydrate. Mark followed a slightly different path, thinking that eh, in the end, this might not be a good thing. And so it's probably proved because... Mark's probably, out of all of those guys that were racing then, probably still doing the best out of all of them in terms of his health and his human performance. So he really broke the mold. And I know that Dave Scott will say that they all thought Mark was a bit weird. But actually now, with the things that we know in the 21st century, Dave would admit that they would probably look back and say, actually, Mark was doing it different, but he was the one who probably got it right. I talked about Brad Cairns. Okay, Brad's the uh, author of Primal Endurance. He also hosts regularly a podcast on the Primal Blueprint site. Brad was one of my first guests way back in 2017. Um, And the reason for that was I gifted the book Primal Endurance to lots of clients that I worked with, and it had a significant impact on their lifestyles. I'll come back to that in a moment. But one of the things that Brad talked about was periodization. Now, we heard when Stephen Seiler talked that he, he said, you know, periodization in some ways isn't isn't the, the, the main thing that you need to focus on when getting your training right. And Brad was keen to emphasize that traditional periodization models are great, but what you have to do is look at the bigger picture. One of those is that most of them come from an Eastern European training methodology where they had complete control of what the athletes did. And the other one is it was for people who 
were in single sports with a single peak in the year or maybe two peaks. They weren't doing multiple discipline sports like triathlon. And periodization and traditional periodization models weren't really set up for people who are working and have lots of things going on in their lives. And you might find that if you're training for triathlon, you need to peak for races between, if you're in the Northern Hemisphere, between the months of May and October. All right. But what happens if you're in an industry, if you, if you work in an industry where your busiest period of the year, let's say you're a school teacher, the busiest period of the year is in the months leading up to the exams of your students in April, May and June. How do you peak for your triathlon in June when you're at your heaviest workload? And so Brad was keen to point out that we should ignore traditional periodization models and work your training into your own lifestyle. I can think equally of a, another gentleman I had on the show, Gerard Gallagher. Gerard is a, is a high-level business consultant for Ernst & Young. Gerard, was pre-pandemic, was doing lots of flying. So it meant that he would have two weeks at his home base. Then he might be living in hotels for two weeks in different parts of the world. So going through time zone changes, climate changes, um, less facilities to access. So a traditional periodization model wouldn't have worked for Gerard. So we had to find something that fitted his lifestyle. So that comes back to what Brad was saying. Now, that primal endurance book, one of the gentlemen I gave it to was a, a, a man I've been coaching now for 17 years, Toby Baxendale. Toby said it had a huge impact on his life and he's still putting into practice those lessons now. We talked about that in the podcast that we did. But one of the other things that Toby told me was that when he was at school, he was labeled educationally subnormal. And I probably recognize this as well from my, my, um, not that I was classed as educationally subnormal, but I did go to a school where I felt that if you weren't either top of the form um, for your academic studies or in the first 15 or first 11 for cricket and rugby, then you were sort of overlooked a little bit. Um, Toby, on the other hand, was cons uh, considered educationally subnormal, he says, because he was dyslexic. But he still made a huge success of his life as an entrepreneur. And that's because he had to do things differently. So again, he had to find a path that worked for him that was outside the norms of the education system at that time. And you'll find lots of entrepreneurs, lots of hugely successful people. I can think of Richard Branson, for one, that did things differently. Yeah, they're what you call disruptors of an industry. Look at Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos and how they've gone about things and been hugely successful by doing things differently. Two more examples for you. Sanjay Rawal uh, was the producer of a film called Run and Become. It's a great film. It's about the Sri Chinmoy thousand mile race that takes place in New York every year. This race takes... I, don't, I can't remember how many days it takes to finish, but it's an awful lot many more, lot more days than I care to run for. But one of the key things that Sanjay talks about is how running can be a conversation between your mind and your body and your spirit. Now, that resonates with something that I'll talk about later with Malcolm Brown, but I feel that this is really important because most people wouldn't ever think of running like that. They, they think of it as a way either to lose some weight because running burns lots of calories or they think of it as a way to keep fit. Or 
if you're a, a runner or a triathlete, then you're focused on what your Garmin's telling you. Sanjay just likes to run. He likes to tap into the spiritual side of things. He likes to see running as a meditation, something that quite a few of our guests have talked about, including Alistair Brownlee, who says that he meditates when he's out riding his bike because it's just him and the riding and the terrain. Okay, so Sanjay's done something differently there by by seeing running as a conversation between three parts of his body. Now, finally, I, I want to talk about recovery. Christy Ashwandon was a guest. She's written the book Good to Go, How to Eat, Sleep and and um, and Train Like a Champion. And the main thing that Christy was talking about in her book was about recovery. Now, again, there are lots of things in there that she debunked, recovery methods that have been really popularized over the last few years. Um, let's take Norma Tech Boots. If you go to any triathlon now, you'll go to the expo and you'll see Norma Tech there and uh, they've got a great product. And I'm sure that the idea of inflating and deflating these boots to massage the legs, to encourage the blood flow back towards the heart works. But you can do that by walking. You can do that by just tensing and relaxing the muscles. And what Christie found was that a lot of these methods that are popularized actually don't have a great deal of scientific research behind them, right? Maybe the purveyors of these products have latched onto one little bit of research. Now, having said that, having said that, if you have Norma Tech boots and you use them after a big long bike or a hard run and you feel like they were working for you, then going back to what Tommy Wood said, why would you change that? Placebo effect, it's huge. That's something that uh, Alex Hutchinson talked about in his book as well. Alex was also a guest on the show. So Alex's book, Endure, talks a lot about the research. He talks a lot about placebo effect. He talks a lot about the mind. So whilst Christie had all of these um, methods of recovery, which seem to work, some of them work because people think they do. Let's take massage. I remember Bill Sweetnam, the performance director of British Swimming, wouldn't let any of his swimmers have massage because he said the evidence in there it doesn't work. But... If you're lying on the massage couch and you're really relaxed, you're almost falling asleep, as I've done many times, as the masseur is just gently um, getting into your quads or your, or your glutes, then surely that's a good way of unwinding, of tapping into the parasympathetic nervous system and getting into that rest and digest phase. So research might not indicate that something works, but if you think it does, then as I say, I mentioned Tommy before, if it works for you, then continue doing what you've been doing. All right, number three then, focusing on the process, not the outcome. So one of our, another of our most popular guests is Malcolm Brown, a great friend of mine, running coach, worked with the Brownleys and Vicky Holland and Non Stanford um, in the Triathlon Performance Centre in Leeds. And Malcolm talked about enjoying the process of running, right? We talked about how to be a better runner. And before you can go to the track, before you do the intervals, you have to embrace the process of and relish the process of just running, of enjoying running through the fields or the woods, not distracted by gadgets, listening to your body, going hard when you feel good, going easy when you don't feel so good. No distractions from anything. 
okay, and doing it daily. Don't worry about what the Garmin says at the end of the day. Just run. Now, Kelly Starrett. Kelly is the author of several books, including Becoming a Supple Leopard. He's an absolute legend in the CrossFit circles. And Kelly is best known for his um, his books and his current project, which is called The Ready State. And he talks about daily movement practice. That's something that lots of guests have talked about, actually, mobility and the importance of just moving well. Remember the remember what Shane Benzie was doing there in order to help you run better? Just move well. And one of Kelly's big gripes is a lot of people worry about, well, should I be doing Pilates or yoga? Maybe I should be doing this or doing that. Just do something. Make sure you don't sit down for too long. Just keep changing positions. If you're sitting in an armchair, sit on the floor. If it's uncomfortable sitting on the floor cross-legged, sit with your legs straight out. Sit with your legs straight out and in a V so you can stretch the inner thigh. Lie on your back. Lie on your front. Lie with both knees to one side, then to the other. Just keep moving around. Get up from the ground and stand up. Stand up and do some mobilization work. But keep moving and make sure it becomes an integral part of your daily movement. Now, there's no outcome to this. Not on each day. It's about just moving. The outcome eventually is that you might notice that you don't get as many injuries, that you're running faster, that Shane Benzie is your coach and he's really happy with you. But it's about the process of doing something regularly. This is something that Kath Bishop talked about. Kath's an Olympic athlete. She won a silver medal with Kath Granger at the Athens Olympics. But she got a little cheesed off with the sort of win or bust attitude coming across the line in second place. And the commentator says, and there's the English crew. They didn't make it. And it's only a silver for them. Imagine how demoralizing that is to listen to the replay and hear somebody talking about you. You're the second best athletes in the world, but it's only a silver. And then getting on the plane back from the Olympics and finding that all of the gold medal winners are in first class enjoying champagne and you're consigned to cargo class and you're getting off the back of the plane and ignored by the press because you only got a silver. Now, that is being super focused on the outcome. And Kath, in her book, The Long Win, talks about the fact that we should try to master the process, to try to be as good as we can be. Whatever you do, if you're making an omelette, just try to make the best omelette that you can make. If you're swimming, don't worry about how fast you're doing that 100 meter length. Do it perfectly. When you do drills, don't do drills to try to get through them. So if you're, it doesn't matter whether you're swimming drills, whether you're running drills, where you're playing football and you're learning to uh, um, play keepy-uppy, whether you're a constant pianist and you're doing the keys and the scales on the keyboard, just get good at those particular processes and the outcome will often look after yourself. So Kath, Kath talked very enthusiastically about being the best that you can be. And that's also something that was reiterated by Mandy Hickson. Now, Mandy, Mandy was one of the first females in Britain to fly a fast jet. She was a tornado pilot. She actually flew in the first Gulf War. She was in combat missions where they were blowing things up and taking out the Iraqis. She she has a great story about evading a a surface-to-air missile at one point. Um, So, she wasn't just, uh, she was actually in the thick of the action. But Mandy was set up for failure because nobody expected her to get through. So she had to do things differently. And in order to become a pilot, she also had to just focus every day on being the best that she could be. 
Okay, she failed at a lot of things in that process to becoming a, a fast jet pilot. She talks openly about this, but in the end, she succeeded because she focused on getting the little things right. So really important there. Try to focus on the process, not the outcome. Now we're on to the big levers now. Lots of people talk about this. I've picked out a few more examples here. I remember being at a conference or in a workshop and a nutritionist, I think it was Kevin Currell, EIS lead for triathlon, was talking about um, different types of approaches to nutrition. And somebody asked him whether they should boil or steam spinach. And Kevin said, well, are you eating spinach now? And they said, no. He said, well, just start by eating more spinach. You see what he did there? The big lever is to eat more spinach, or maybe that's just the big lever is to eat more vegetables. The person who asked the question was focusing on a little lever far too much. Should I boil it or steam it? I don't know. Boiling, hold on. Maybe boiling takes out the nutrients, so I'll steam it. Mm, no, I'll have to put it. No, no, that'll take too long. Yeah, just eat more spinach. Some of the big levers that you can focus on. If you want to be a better athlete, if you want to get more out of your life as a human being, the number one activity you should be focusing on is getting more sleep. Nick Littlehales, a sleep expert, talks about this. Mike Lombardi, performance um, consultant with WHOOP, talks about sleep as an integral part of the thing that they measure and how important that is. Now, again, focusing on a big lever, a lot of people will think about, well, should I have a memory foam bed or a pocket sprung bed? Or maybe I should have a pocket sprung bed with a memory foam topper. Maybe I should have... Um, Maybe I should have down uh, pillows or maybe I should have one or two or maybe I shouldn't have any. Yeah, what time are you going to bed every night? What time are you getting up? If you're only getting to bed for six hours, like you go to bed at midnight, you get up at 6 a.m. I think the consensus is that you're not getting enough sleep. There's not enough opportunity to sleep there. So rather than worrying about what type of mattress you should have, just start worrying about getting to sleep a little bit earlier every night. Louisa Holmes, the White Witch, and Alison Rose, boss of the coach house where Louisa works, they've both been on the show and talked about staying uninjured. If you want to be an athlete and will, uh, or successful in anything, we'll talk about consistency right at the end. But the two big things that get in the way of consistency are injury and illness. So if you can stay uninjured, then... You'll be able to do more training. You'll be able to do what Steven Seiler recommends and focus on volume and frequency. If you're injured, there ain't no volume and there ain't much frequency. So it doesn't matter what fancy gadgets or fancy training approaches you have if you're injured. So the number one thing you can do is to stay uninjured. Now, they give lots of examples, but I'm going to come on to some of the other experts who back this up. For instance, Dave Scott and Mark Allen both talk about strength training for athletes. Now, I've had some people debating with me about where strength training is important for athletes. Does it make you a better athlete? I, I don't know if there's a direct link, certainly not in triathlon, between strength training and cycling faster or running faster. And I know some people will say, well, there's plenty of pro triathletes who don't do any strength training. But I think that's the wrong argument. I think they probably resilient anyway. They've maybe done a lot of movement and a lot of, and they've got great technique and they can get away without doing strength training. But that's not the recommendation I would have for most people. And I know that um, Dave Scott and Mark Allen both highly favor strength training for triathletes. 
And Jess Elliott also talked about this. She talked about moving better to build resilience, but she also talked about strength training for endurance athletes and, and specifically for triathletes. And they're not the only ones. Kelly Starrett was another one. Dan Plews, another one. These guys all emphasize that we need to do some strength training. Now, it may not be your traditional squats and bench press and deadlifts, but you have to build strength around the joints. Um, you have to improve the integrity of the ligaments and tendons so that they don't blow out when you keep building up the training. So, and Alison Rose and Louisa also emphasize this. So one way to stay injured is to build a more resilient body. I've talked about Kelly Starrett. Sarah Pitts was another guest on the show, another mobility expert that talks about the benefit of that. And let's get more specific now. Carlin Pipes, the swim coach from Hawaii. I love Carlin. We did a great session in the endless pool at her house. She showed me a slightly different way of swimming. Going back to finding what works for you, Carlin has a swim approach that is totally different from what you've been taught traditionally. And when I went back to the pool, having learned Carlin's new method, all the swim coaches said, ah, you're not doing this right, Simon. You need to get more length there. You need to do this. You need to do that. Actually, do you know what? When I spent that time with Carlin, I learned a, a way of swimming that was better for me. And that's what the coaches were missing. They were overlooking the fact that I'd found a route that was better for me and they were trying to give me the standard um, lesson. But anyway, back to Carlin. Carlin also emphasized in her podcast the importance of mobility for swimming. You can do all the drills you like. You can swim intervals till the cows come home or until the swimming pool drains empty. But if you are tight in the hip flexors, you will create drag and you will never swim as fast as you can. If you're tight in the lats and the upper back, you'll never be able to get the full range of stroke. Use your lat muscles effectively and be as fast as you can be. So if you're somebody who's really tight and never does any mobility and you want to get faster at swimming or running, like Shane Benzie said, or probably cycling as well, then I can guarantee that more mobility work is going to have a huge impact. I think Robin Brew also talked about this, how a six-week um, concentrated mobility program had a huge positive impact on his swimming um, ahead of the 1992 Olympics. All right, so there must be something in it, mustn't there? If these experts are coming up with this um, lesson time and time again, it's just a pity that more of us don't learn. And Sarah Pitts will say it took her 10 years to convince me that mobility was important. But as I get into my late 50s, I realize that being able to move well is something that's going to help me continue to do the things that I love to do. So please think about that. It's a big lever that you should be pulling. Not worrying about whether you should be doing this or that. Just get it done every day. Finally, gut function. Now, this was a really fascinating podcast with Bella Lindemann because the gut's the second brain. Many of you probably don't know that, but a lot of what happens in your gut affects what happens in the rest of your body. Illness specifically autoimmune disease, can be influenced by the state of your gut. Okay, psoriasis, eczema can all be gut-related. If you can't sleep, there's a good chance that it's something in your gut that's creating some enzymes that are stopping you from getting into that deep sleep. So maybe you need to start looking at that. If you have problems keeping food down, if you have problems with um, constipation or diarrhea or irritable bowel syndrome is a good chance 
well, there's a huge chance that that's related to gut and gut bacteria. So again, if you're worried about whether your nutrition needs changing, a bigger lever to pull might be to find out whether your gut is functioning effectively because that changing that could change a whole load of things for positive in your body. All right, almost done now. Now, this, is, this wasn't an obvious lesson, this next one, but we are all on a continuum. When I talk to Mimi Anderson, she's an ultra-running world record holder. She's been in the Guinness Book of Records. She's got loads of firsts. The first woman to do the double comrades. The, one of the first females. I think, actually, she was the first female to do the double Badwater Ultra. That's like 111 miles out of Death Valley. And then when you've done it, I know you lot have a finishing party. I'm going to go and do it again just because I can. All right, that's Mimi Anderson. But Mimi talks about something here that re reflects the continuum that's, that's important in ultra running. And that is that sometimes you're going to feel really bad, but you just have to keep taking positive forward steps. Eventually things will come again, come good. So if you sit down, if you stop on your journey, you're not going to make any progress. Just keep moving forwards. And uh, we also had Laz Lake on now, Lazarus Lake, otherwise uh, Gary Cantrell, his real name, but known to most people in the ultra running world as Laz Lake, runs the Barclay Marathons. He also runs a race called Big Dogs Backyard Ultra. Now, I'll put a link onto the BBC um, article that was about that, but basically this is an ultra run where it's last man standing. You have to run four miles an hour, but you have to keep doing it. And some guys do it for 200 odd hours. Okay, so... Just think about that and just keep going. But in order to do that, you have to keep putting one foot in front of the other. So both of these ultra running experts talk about this, about just keep moving forward. And I think that really represents what I wanted to say here. Is that we're all, whenever we do anything, whether we're training for triathlon, when whether we're training or changing our nutrition to lose weight or become healthier, whether we want to improve our mobility, whether we want to improve our sleep, whether we're setting up a new business, even if we're starting to record a podcast in 2017. That's the start point. You've got an idea of where you want to be. But of course, as we know, the journey never ends because whenever we get to where we think we want to be, we always know then that there's some improvement we can make. So it's a bit like walking to the horizon. It's a journey you'll never actually reach the end of. Being the best you can be, doing the best you can do and making positive changes so you keep moving forward means that we're all on this continuum. I'm included in that. So as long as I can look back behind me to the point that I started at, that's all that matters, right? It doesn't matter if my journey forward has been slow or maybe the, for the last few months it's been really fast. Now, that's life, isn't it? Things change and sometimes the stream flows fast and sometimes it almost dries up and, and it stops flowing very much. But as long as you've moved forward from your um, start point, then that's positive. And we need to be happy about that. We have to be happy. Now, obviously, if you start going backwards in your life, then that's when you really need to pull yourself up. But for most people I know, they move forwards. They keep trying to better themselves. Remember that good, better, best, never, never rest until good is better and better is best. Well, that's a good motto to be going on with too. I'm sure you've got your own. But please just remember that we are all on a continuum. So my final one then. This is a summary of just about everything. Nearly all of our guests 
have mentioned this at some point or other. When I go back to the person I mentioned very at the very first part of this podcast, Bernie Shrewsbury, when I went on his training camp and I had my little notebook and I took notes, the one thing that I wrote down there and drew a big circle around it and underlined it on the inside page of the book was consistency is the key to success. That's 32 years ago. I found that book a few years ago and that's still there now. And that message has been relayed time and time again through the podcast series. If you want to do anything, if you want to build a podcast, just keep putting podcasts out every Wednesday until you've got 200. You'll get better at it. You'll have some rubbish ones in there. You'll have some awesome ones. You'll have learned some lessons. Okay, if you want to start running, just do one step. Do two steps the next day. If you want to lose a bit of weight, change your food. Don't make drastic changes. Just change what you eat, but stick to it consistently. In every aspect of your life, the key to success is being consistent with your approach. I'm not going to give you any more examples there because I, again, I'll be there until the cows come home. I think you've got the message now. It's up to you to find what works for you with consistency and apply it day after day. So that's it. That's my summary of 200 plus podcasts of almost four years of over 150 fantastic guests. Some of the key lessons. There's lots more to be pulled out of that. I'm going to go to town on this over the next few months and be writing blog posts and doing more of these podcasts and more episodes on the lessons that I've learned. But that's it for now. So thank you for joining me on this week's High Performance Human podcast. I mentioned lots of previous podcasts and books and what have you and I'm going to put everything that I mentioned in the show notes below now I have two actions for you please if you've enjoyed this podcast please can you hop onto iTunes and leave a rating and more importantly a review alternatively please go onto your favorite social media platform and share with as many friends as possible okay that's all for this week I'll be back in seven days time with another great guest but for now please stay healthy and stay focused on being a high-performance human in every aspect of your life. And remember, consistency is the key to success.